It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You told me it was the right thing to do. Look, I know what I told you to do, but when I told you to do that, I was... Ralph, I was... I was not exactly right. What do you mean, not right? I mean, not right. I don't get you. You mean you were wrong? Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, Malfa. I was what you just said I was just then, yeah. Wrong? The Fonz wrong? Malf, look. (laughs) There is a first time for everything, huh? Uh, and that is the point. The 1970 sitcom where 60 people, uh, 60 million people watched every week, where almost everyone could recite in the 1970s what happened on Happy Days. Remember when Fonz had to admit everyone wanted to be him, that he was wrong. Uh, that fits into our next guest's line of thinking, Adam Grant, organizational psychologist at Wharton School and best-selling author. Uh, his latest book is Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. And especially after this year, the pandemic, everyone forced to do things you weren't do before, ever did before. If you're a performer, you're at home more than ever. You're not going to games. You're barely, for a while, we weren't even watching sports. Not, most people have changed their work habits. Some people don't go to work. Some people don't have a job. Rethinking everything. Adam Grant, uh, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Your ideas came across at just the right time. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. That was a complete accident. Had no idea that we were all going to be rethinking so many fundamental assumptions during a pandemic. I was just frustrated that I had a hard time admitting when I was wrong, and so did everyone else that I knew. And it's so like wrong is one thing. The other thing is just to change. For example, like so many people uh, that don't go pro uh, but care about sports, you were a diver. And you said, I, you know, you identified as a diver. You worked hard and outworked people, and you had a great success. But what happened when you went to college? I found out that I couldn't beat people who were more talented than me by outworking them anymore. And all of a sudden, I'm stuck with, this is my identity, right? Everyone who knows me sees me as a diver. What, if I walk away from that, who am I? And after about a year of, of just crashing all over the pool and, and misery at 6 a.m. at practice, I finally said, you know what? Diving is something I do. It's not who I am. What I love about the sport is that it challenges me to grow and excel and try to contribute to the growth and excellence of my teammates. And those values I can pursue in lots of different things. So I'm going to look for other ways where I can grow, excel, and contribute. So a lot of people uh, see themselves in their job, and then they find out the job says, we're going to have to let you go. This pandemic made us cut costs or we're out of business. So people can identify with what you were forced to identify with. What did you find as you had to re-identify yourself? Did you find, was it scary? And what was the result? Yeah, it was pretty uncomfortable at first. I felt like I was, you know, I was walking away from something that I'd been good at for a long time, something that, you know, that other people appreciated and valued. Um, and especially, I think we live in a world where, you know, we, we put athletes on a pedestal, right? So even though I was, I was good at a fake sport <laughs> instead of one of our major sports, uh, you know, it, it still gave me status. And I think walking away from that forced me to, to recognize that I needed to be able to, you know, to, I guess, be proud of the things that, that I had achieved and worry a little bit less about what other people thought of me. And open up your mind to learning different things. You say one phrase that uh, you have to get comfortable with is when to quit and when to grit. So when to grind it out and work your way through it and when to say this is, the payoff is not going to be worth the grind. Yeah, one of the the most common traps we see people run into at work is called escalation of commitment to a losing course of action. 
It's where you make a choice, you get some feedback that it might not have worked out, right? maybe it's the wrong job or the wrong culture for you, and then instead of rethinking it, you double down and invest more because you want to convince yourself and everybody else that you made a good decision in the first place. And then, of course, you know, by the time it's, it's clear that it was the wrong call, it's too late. You feel like you've just invested too much. And I think the, you know, one of the big reasons we land in that trap is we are told never give up. Right? We're told not to be quitters. And I think that there's, there's obviously a time and a place to persevere, but you don't want to stick around throwing good money after bad. Understood. Uh, so you also you say we live in a country and a society that favors confidence over competence. And do you have an example? Oh, lots of examples. I think that probably the clearest example is if you look at what happens uh, when people go into meetings at work, uh, it's usually the person who speaks with the most confidence who ends up driving the decision. Right? So we listen to the people who sound authoritative, uh, who speak with a lot of, of certainty, instead of the people who may actually know what they're talking about. And one of the hallmarks of being an expert is being willing to say, I don't know, and I'm not sure. Right? Because the more you know about something, the more you see the complexity and the nuance. And oftentimes, the very people who, who have all that knowledge have a hard time getting it across because they sound like they're tentative or they're equivocating or they're ambivalent. And that is actually a hallmark of how much they know. Very interesting, uh, because you, you have a few examples of that where um, uh, in your own life, you said that if you have a degree of humility, it works out. And you said that was part of the reason why you had an exercise where professors would do their version of Jimmy Kimmel's mean tweets, take some of the bad feedback about their teaching and read it out loud. Why? <laughs> well, large, largely because we, we had a choice. We could continue to pretend that our classes were perfect or we could acknowledge that we were always trying to, to improve them. And I got some pretty tough feedback when I first started teaching. I remember um, one student wrote that I was so nervous I was causing everyone else to shake in their seats. <laughs> and you know, it, was, it, was, it was painful to read at first. But then I realized, you know what, I could spend all this time trying to prove myself and fool them into thinking that I'm comfortable, but they already know that I'm nervous. They can see it. If I admit it out loud, right, I'm actually showing that I'm secure enough in my strengths to acknowledge my weaknesses, and I can turn them into my coaches. And so a bunch of us got together and said, let's, let's read our tough feedback. We want to prove to students that not only are we open to hearing criticism, but we can take it. And I found that whenever I do that, the floodgates open, that when students hear me criticize myself out loud, that they, they bring problems and ideas, but also great suggestions and encouragement that they just didn't feel safe to speak about before. All right. We're talking with Adam Grant. Uh, he's an organizational psychologist. He wrote this book, Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know and Being Open Enough to Understand It. Adam, um, that was my subtitle and your subtitle. But, Adam, this is perfect for politics. Well, people are going to their own corners. We're ignoring Democrats or ignoring Republicans. We're ignoring a president and wish the other president was there or vice versa. How can you start opening yourself up to saying, well, those people over there might have some good ideas rather than walk past them, engage them? I think that's a great question. And, and frankly, it's a question we should all be asking more often. I think for me, the starting point is to recognize that your heroes is not, are not as great as you think. And your villains are not as bad as you think. Right? Everyone's, everyone's complex. And I think it's so easy when, when we start to think like politicians to defend our tribe and attack the other side. Uh, what I would love people to do, actually, is, is go back to the, the way that, that Abraham Lincoln thought. Uh, he seems to be the one president that both sides can agree on. And I think one of the great moments uh, in Lincoln's history was he came into the White House convinced that if he abolished slavery, it would permanently tear the Union apart. 
how lucky are we that he changed his mind on that? He was not giving up on his values, right? He, he obviously believed in the American dream. He believed in freedom. But he did shift on his policies. And I think the, the principle here is to stick to your principles but be flexible on your policies because there may be ways of advancing your principles and your values that you haven't tested or explored yet. And to further even go that storyline, uh, he realized at that time it doesn't matter what he thinks, the country would be divided forever if he did it. But two years later, he thought the country was ready and he was right. So timing is everything. He put his uh, principles on hold for a short time in order to ultimately win the battle. Yeah, I think that if Lincoln were alive today, there's a good chance that a lot of people would be calling him a flip-flopper. Right? And flip-flopping is when, when you change what you say to tell people what they want to hear. What Lincoln did was different. He learned. Right? He evolved. He paid attention to the timing and, and figured out, okay, this is the moment where I can actually pursue multiple principles as opposed to sacrificing one for another. And I think we need to give our politicians a little bit of leeway to do that, right? to say, I changed my mind. That could be a source of strength. That could be a, a recognition that you have discovered something new. And last time I checked, the point of learning is not to affirm what you already believe. It's to evolve what you believe. Very interesting. Um, so the other thing is, like, when people are sports fans, uh, they hate the other team. Do you think you can get a Yankee fan to be open about the Red Sox? I did, actually. <laughs> Tim Cunter and I ran some experiments where we tried to get Yankees fans to support the Red Sox and vice versa. And we found a lot of things that did work, uh, didn't work. But one thing that did was asking them to imagine that they had been born in the other city. Just thinking about if you're a Yankees fan, who do you think you would root for if you grew up in Boston? And all of a sudden, they said, you know what? It's possible that I could be a Red Sox fan. And maybe the people who, you know, who root for them, sort of an accident of birth and circumstance, they didn't, they didn't necessarily choose it. And there's more to those people than the one hateful belief that they hold. So do you believe, Adam, you know, the, the, we always were, everybody listening right now is in a class and there's the smartest kid in the class who got, didn't have to study, was always great from first grade, eighth grade, 12th grade, all that kid's valedictorian, so uh, smart. Having said that, is there something different is there something like an Elon Musk, a Thomas Edison, who says, you know, there's no light in here. I'm tired of lighting candles. I bet you I could do some with electricity. Elon Musk says, and this hasn't worked yet, but I'm tired of Los Angeles traffic. I wonder if I could uh, dig a tunnel and put cars on these tunnels. And it's just a way of thinking where some people say this is traffic. I have to deal with it. Others say there's got to be a way. Is that a way of thinking, or is these people just geniuses that we can't relate to? I think it's a little bit of both. Obviously, it would you know it would help to have a little bit of Elon Musk genius if you know if you want to solve big problems in the world. But I think what you're pointing to is the nonconformity that so many schools stamp out of kids. Um, there's a classic study of creative architects looking at the Frank Lloyd Wrights of their of their time. What's different about them from their peers who are technically skilled but not as original? And it turns out that one of the differences is the creative architects had spikier grades. In high school, they got A's in the classes they found interesting and C's and D's in the ones that they didn't. Uh, and I think that what that really reflects is they were not necessarily that interested in succeeding within the system. They were trying to figure out how do I shake up and improve the system. And I think that in too many schools, Excellence demands conformity, and we know in life that, that excellence actually demands originality. So I think that's, that's a skill set that we could obviously teach. Some people do it more naturally than others, but there's no reason why you can't improve from your baseline. 
You know, you, th- you think about it, too, with Steve Jobs. I'm not going to college. Um, it's taken too much money from my parents, but he will audit some classes. And I believe uh, 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 Bill Gates is the same thing. He did, guy didn't go to college. He did things his own way, thought out of the box, a little bit much more uh, affluent, obviously. Uh, but Adam Grant, people listening right now who have lost their jobs or uh, got demoted or they have to work out of their house, their identity is no longer linked with their occupation. What are a couple of things you could do for them right now? Give them ideas to think about how to reorganize their thinking. You talk about this term called cognitive retrenchment. Yeah, I think one of, one of the things we see over and over again is that when people gain a lot of experience in a field, they start to think too narrowly about what their skills are and what they can contribute. So this idea of cognitive entrenchment is I take for granted assumptions that need to be questioned. Um, we see it, for example, with, uh, with highly experienced accountants who are actually slower to adapt to new tax laws than novices uh, because they're used to the way they've always done things. And I think one of the silver linings of this pandemic, and obviously it's been such a tragedy for so many people with the loss of life and the loss of jobs and the economy is struggling, is that it has given people the space to rethink who they are and what they do. Um, LinkedIn actually just published some data showing that over half of people expect their next job to be striking out on their own. I think we're going to see a wellspring of entrepreneurial activity. And so I think this is a perfect time to run a career checkup or a life checkup. Just like you would go to the doctor once or twice a year, even if nothing is wrong, you want to pause and say, okay, what are the skills that I have? Where could those add value? And what are the skills that I want to learn in the next year so that I can get a little bit more control and freedom in my own career? So re, uh, revisit your goals, revisit your relationship beliefs, revisit your ideas and ideals. Yeah, and also rethink your network a little bit. One of the mistakes that people make when they lose a job is that they narrow their networks. They tend to reach out only to their strongest ties for help because those are the people they trust, their close friends, their family members, maybe a couple of colleagues. The data actually tell us, though, that you're more likely to get a job through weak ties, those more distant acquaintances, because they travel in different circles, they meet different people, they know different things, and they can open up opportunities. And I think the pandemic's made it a lot harder for us to to reach out to those weak ties because we don't run into them every day, and we need to be a little more proactive in doing that. It's so interesting, too, Adam, because you say, you know, you were a diver, you recreate your identity, you become a teacher, you take some things, but you also have a passion to be a magician. And you still do it all, right? And and do you find that that adds to your enjoyment, even if you're not the best musician uh, magician in the world, you like pursuing it? Yeah, I you know technically retired, but I really enjoy having it as a hobby. There's uh, there's actually some new evidence showing that having a little side hustle uh, is a great source of confidence and mastery when things aren't going well in your job. And we've all had those days right, where we feel like I just can't do anything right. And having something that I can turn to that I feel like I'm decent at and that I can get absorbed in and find that flow experience where I'm in the zone really helps to rejuvenate my energy. Uh, the name of the book is called Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. Uh, Adam Grant also has a TED Talk out there. Uh, Adam, it's been very educational. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this and research it. Thank you. Hope you don't rethink that. <laughs> I promise you I won't. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.